Who doesn't love Disney, right? Uh, don't raise your hand. Uh, I, I, I have loved Disney my whole life, and as a young dad, I, I wish I'd have been smart enough to buy stock in Disney because I went there so many times. My, kid loves, my kids still love, even though they're now older, going back to Disney World. And uh, this summer, we're coming out of a, a kind of lengthy and kind of involved series called The Strong Life, and we thought, wow, why not just have some fun with some of these classic tales the Disney tales that we could uh, all kind of smile about, but then we could do some introspection and think about, man, where is the gospel in this story? And so uh, I missed being with you last week, but this week we're going to be able to talk about a tale as old as time, right? You know about Beauty and the Beast. You probably know that this story was first uh, written and, and kind of come into folklore in the 1700s. And it is a story like many Uh, mythic fables. It has kind of a moral in the very middle of it. But one of the cool things about all the Disney stories is that these Disney stories tell us something about the human condition. There'll be tragedy, there'll be triumph, there'll be something there that we can see in the human story, and we normally are looking for places and themes of redemption or sacrifice or salvation. So today, as we're looking into this story, Beauty and the Beast, Uh, which I hope most of you have seen, or at least you know the storyline for, I want you to ask yourself a question. I'm going to show four clips today, all right? And every clip, I want to ask, I'll get you to ask yourself the same question over and over again. I want you to ask yourself, where in this story can I find the gospel? Where in this story can I see threads of the gospel? So the very first start of this place today, as we get ready to, to think about the gospel themes that are in Beauty and the Beast, I'm going to start you at the very beginning of the movie. Now, don't get too wrapped up because we ain't going to play the whole movie, all right? But we're going to play just the very beginning, and it will set the theme or the story for the themes of the gospel we're looking at within Beauty and the Beast. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. And when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. And as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose which would bloom until his 21st year. If he could learn to love another, 
and earn her love in return by the time the last petal fell. Then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? You know, I, I, I got to tell you, there's kind of a perpetual preacher in me, and I, I go to Disney movies or I can go to a Broadway play, and I'm sitting there thinking about the gospel storylines that are in these movies. Let's think about that for a minute. So the Beauty and the Beast starts with a prince, right? But we know of this prince that he, uh, the narrator says, is selfish, spoiled, and uncharitable. And he gets a visit, and the visit is by a, an old hag. Now, he doesn't know that it's an enchantress. He just knows that it's a, a woman who's coming to ask for uh, a stay for the night and offering a rose in return for that kind of gracious care, right? But we know of the prince that this is going to be a test, and the test is going to show what's really deep inside of the prince. And because of her haggard appearance, he turns her away, you know, and she sees that there's no love inside of him. And so she places upon him a curse. Now here's the curse simply. The curse is simply this, that all of the nastiness, all of the beast inside would actually now be on the outside. And all of the ugly stuff on the inside of him now would be shown on the outside for all to be able to see. And so the prince turns into a beast and remains in this castle afraid, locked away, because he doesn't want anybody to really see who he is. And we get this story of a person who is under a deep and dark curse. Now, what's interesting about this story, and today uh, there's a theme of what I'm going to be talking about. It, it, if there is a theme, it's the theme of a curse. It's the theme of a transformation that happens when, when those curses are broken. But when we think about the beast, I want you to think through this kind of understanding of a darkness that was within him. A darkness that was in the prince. Now, according to the Bible, the Bible would call that kind of original sin. The understanding that we all, it's not just him, we all have had darkness inside of us. Things that have been hateful, malicious, things that have not been charitable, things inside of us where we were prejudicial or biased to other people, or maybe we were just focused on outward appearances. Maybe, there, maybe your darkness inside of you is not like anybody else, and it was your darkness or your sin. Now, the truth of the matter is, see this Bible here? A lot of people think the Bible is a story of saints. But I want to suggest to you today that the Bible is actually a story of beasts who were transformed. You know, this book is full of people who, not vastly different from the prince, had some dark stuff going on inside of them. We can begin at the very beginning of the book in a garden where it seemed like everything is perfect and there's no reason for there to be any sin there, right? But Adam and Eve choose to go their own way. They choose to do the selfish thing. They choose to bite the apple. And then not just them. Remember Cain and Abel, right? Brother kills brother and, and they're self-seeking and there's this darkness that is within them. The Bible is full of stories of people who were dark and had darkness inside of them. They had evil and wickedness at the core of who they are. Remember, maybe you think about David, for example, today. I mean, David was the king. He had everything going for him, but he still had to take another man's wife. 
He still had, he committed murder and killed that guy in order to have the, the story not get out? Guys, about the Apostle Paul, right? Paul was a murderer, a beast of sorts that God eventually transformed. Let me read a couple of scriptures. I don't have them in your outline today, but they came to me as I was uh, thinking about this, this, uh, these passages in the last couple of days. Let me read to you what the, the Apostle Paul said about all of us. This is us as humans. From Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. From Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse, uh, uh, just going to read verse 29 there. They have become filled, that's humans, all right? That's humanity. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers. They are boastful. The Bible tells us, but Paul said it very clearly in Romans, that's us, all right? So it'd be very easy to kind of look at this story of, of, the, of the beauty and the beast and say, oh, that's, that was just him. The truth of the matter is, this story from the beauty and the beast, it reminds us there can be a dark side in every one of us. And by the way, Paul raised up his own hand and he said, how about me first? If you turn over a few pages in, in Romans chapter 7, he was talking about himself and where he struggled with this darkness inside of him. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, he said these words. Listen now. Listen to this story. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law that is at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within my members. Listen to this. What a wretched, some Bible translations say cursed, what a wretched or what a cursed man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the story of you and the story of me is that we all have lived under a curse or curses, darkness within us that we, like Paul, would say, what a wretched man I am or woman I am. What a cursed person. Who can rescue me from this? And, of course, Paul's answer is, thanks be to Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice. He is the one who can change me from the darkness that is within me. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. I want to talk to you about transformation and change. How do you really change at the core of who you are? And how do you see that darkness, that, that stuff that's inside you that you know is not of God? How do you see that stuff and confront it and allow God to deal with you? So you see that question there in the opening of your outline, a question I'm going to pose to you today. What can we do to allow God to break the curses that we live under? And today I'm going to get you to think about any kind of curse or any kind of darkness that you have lived under or that you are presently living under. If you have your pen, I'm going to suggest three things, okay? The first one is this, and we're going to watch a clip. The first one is this. If you really want to allow God to get at the core of who you are and deal with anything that might be dark or, or, or evil or slanderous or, or anything that's not like Him inside of you, it starts with this. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You've got to make a decision to be vulnerable. Now, you know the beast story, right? You know the beast, he's a, he's a bad guy, and he doesn't want anybody to get around him. He, he, he doesn't want anybody to even get close to him. He holds everybody at a distance. He's filled with anger. He's, he's roaring all the time. And then this 
this beautiful young lady comes into his life, right? This young lady comes into his world, and she gets a little too close to the things that he is not very vulnerable about. Matter of fact, he tells her, do not go. Remember that? Do not go in the West Wing. In the West Wing, he has his rose, right? The enchanted rose is there. Watch this moment with me and think about uh, that question I asked before. Where do I see the gospel in this? And notice and ask yourself, is this beast vulnerable or not? Watch this. I decided to show you that clip because um, I've seen, and, and I bet you have too, you've seen and experienced folks like that, that if you get close to anything that they're vulnerable about, they blow up. You ever been there before? You ever gotten close to somebody's weak spot or somebody's rough you know, place where they are just kind of tender in their soul or maybe they're embarrassed about it or they're, it's, a, it's a dark place they want to keep as a secret and they can't handle it? Guys, uh, this vulnerability thing, being vulnerable, I think is very important when it comes to the things of our soul. And some folks um, just, they, they've never, they, they, they might have even grown up in a home where they were taught never be vulnerable, never open up yourself. But here's the deal. True change cannot really happen in our lives until our eyes are open to the things in us that are not like they should be, to the dark things in us. And then once our eyes are open to them, once we see them as they really are, we see the things that need changing. That's when change can begin, and you make yourself open or you make yourself vulnerable. So one of the questions I want to ask you today is, what is in you, instead of just thinking about the beast, what's in you that's not like Jesus? What's in you that you, you really know that God needs to confront, that God needs to change? Can you see it? Could you put your arms around it? Can you put your finger on it and go, this is something I know that I need to give to God because I have just struggled with this thing, whatever that thing is. Can you name the dark place inside of you? Going back to that idea a minute, 
for a minute about original sin. Remember I talked about original sin? One theologian gave a, a metaphorical description of, uh, of sin, and he called it a person with a curved spine. Do me a favor. Would you do a little object lesson with me? Everybody in the room, stand up for me for a minute. Stand up. Just put your stuff down on the side. Put your notes off the side. Put your Bible off the side for a minute. Just stand up. And, and I hope to give you a metaphor here for sin that you may have never thought of, and this comes from an ancient theologian. He said, an image of sin is a person with a deeply curved spine, and so they look like this. They're bent over, and all they can see is themselves. Do that with me real quickly. Just bend over. Bend way over. Stay there. Bend way over. Now imagine your spine being like that all day long. Bend over, way over, you're curved in, all you can see is yourself. Now, look over at your neighbor, stay bent over, just look over at your neighbor. Just look over at your neighbor, all right, you see them? There they are. Yeah, isn't that kind of weird and uncomfortable? All right, now stand back up and look at me, if you will. Now listen, that's a terrible way to live, isn't it? Isn't it? When you, all that you're interested in is you. You're not caring, you're not seeing things as they really are, all you're interested is this bent self inside. Grab a seat. I hope that image sticks with you because, guys, Jesus, as you'll see by the end of this message, Jesus did not create us to live life like that. Let me say that a little differently. Listen. Jesus, when he crafted you, when he formed you and he made you, the Bible's, the last scripture you're going to read in the day says that he made you so that you would not be bent all over and only concerned about yourself. He wants you to be able to see the world as it really is. And he wants you to see other people the way they really are. But if you're just bent over and only concerned about yourself, then, then, you're, then you're warped and you're not the way he meant you to be. So the question is, what inside of you is warped? What inside of you is bent over and all selfish, like, like the prince, right? Selfish and uncharitable, and uncaring. Is there a person, for example, in your work or maybe your family? And you just can't stand to be around them. And you just think to yourself, whenever you think about who they are, you think bad thoughts about them. You just see them in an uncharitable way. You see them maybe even in a mean-spirited way. Is there maybe a, 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 a thing in you that feels a certain way about this or that, and, it's, and, and, and you know it's not the way God would have you to feel about this or that? See, what I'm saying to you, this vulnerable thing, right? We know that true change happens when we're able to say, okay, God, let me name what it is, and here it is. I'm going to be vulnerable, and I'm offer it out to you. This is, I know you want to deal with this in me. And we see this even in 12-step groups. We've got a couple of folks here who are big 12-steppers, uh, and their lives were saved because of NA or, or Alcoholics Anonymous AA. And what happens in an AA group, by the way? It begins with vulnerability. It begins with this step number one. I mean, any person who's going to see change happen in their life in an AA program, for example, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to say, um, listen, I have a problem, and they're going to name their problem, okay? I have a problem, and then the second thing they oftentimes are, are invited to do is to say, and I need a power that is higher than myself to change me. Now, that's a place of vulnerability, isn't it? When you say, hey, I am an alcoholic, and I am powerless to change myself, I need a power higher than myself to bring true and lasting change. That is a place of deep vulnerability. And 
you know, being able to name that place, I think, is a very important thing. Let me share with you a gospel story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold Beauty and the Beast in one hand, and I could have chosen a thousand different gospel stories, but today I want to talk about a gospel story that hopefully most of you in this room you've heard of before. It's a very simple story of a beast who is transformed, and he goes by, goes by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? I mean, most of us do, right? Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man, and a wee little man was, right. That's about all we know for, for the most part about Zacchaeus. He was a short guy. But read this gospel passage with me real quickly. The Bible says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Now, by the way, if you don't know what that is, let me tell you. Um, uh, the people in Israel, they were being occupied by a foreign government. And that foreign government was taxing them for their own protection. But not only were there certain people who went out and collected the taxes, there was one person who was called a chief tax collector over them. He managed them, and then he would collect over top of them uh, the extra money that he needed to be able to live off. And so we, we're going to find out Zacchaeus was very wealthy. Because the people were living under a great burden. They were not only having, having to pay taxes to Rome, they were having to pay the wages of the people who were the tax collectors, and then even part of that money was going to other people like Zacchaeus. Who, uh, so this was not a very good guy. A lot of people looked at him as a person who really uh, did the opposite of Robin Hood. He, 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 he exhorted, or he, I'm sorry, he, what's the right word? He, he, yeah, I can't hear you. But anyway, he, he, he hurt the poor, right? He was hurting the poor. The Bible says he was a cheap tax collector, and he was, and there's that word, wealthy. Now, if you really touched the place that was deep in Zacchaeus, that was part of what he was struggling with, it was the fact that he had a lot of money. And it was the fact that in order to have a lot of money, he had to be a pretty evil dude. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let me just pause that. Pause there for a minute. You know, the folks who followed Jesus were not normally people who would have been a very nice person to Zacchaeus. The people who followed Jesus were looking for um, a revolutionary. They were looking for somebody to overthrow Rome. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for a Messiah who would restore uh, Israel to its glory. They were not looking for somebody who was in any way a friend of Rome. And Zacchaeus would have definitely been viewed as a friend of Rome. So to even go out in the crowd and to be even looking or being around anybody from Jesus could have put him at great risk, at, at a minimum, to be picked out, to be pointed out, and, and to be uh, in, in some way made a public disgrace in that place. But he put himself in a vulnerable spot. I think that's the start of how you really allow God to come in and bring change. I have made it no secret that one of the deep places inside of me that God had to come and heal, that I had no power to change myself when I became a Christ follower, was that as a young child and even as an early teen, I struggled in deep places with anger. You didn't want to play ball with me because we were probably going to get in a fight before it was over. I, I struggled with anger. I really did. There was a competitive side to me that I just had no control over. And I could tell you long stories about places where this caused me to sin in deep, dark ways. I was angry with my mom and my dad. I was angry with even my best of friends. I was an angry, curved, spine-warped person at the core of who I was. 
And it came to my understanding that I had no power to change myself. And I, I'm here to tell you today, guys, that would have, I would have never been delivered. And that's what I say I was. I was delivered from my anger. I, I didn't change me. I was delivered by the power of God because I'm, I held it out to God and I said, God, I can't change this. I have tried everything I can to change this. And I'm just offering it to you. And I made myself vulnerable. It was a curse that I lived under. I lived under a curse of anger. And I hated it. But I didn't know how to change it. I'll tell you another curse I lived under. I lived under the curse. I grew up as, as a young boy watching my dad every Friday night. He worked really hard. He built houses. He worked very hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But every Friday and every Saturday, I lived under the curse that I watched my dad get a, get a bottle of alcohol and just leave us. Just left the world. You know? And every Friday and Saturday night, I didn't look forward to those nights because my dad would, uh, that was what he did. He'd get drunk. And, and you know what? I thought to myself, even as a young person, I could get this one. I thought to myself, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And can I tell you something? There was a work of God already in me that made me afraid that that would be a curse that I would live under and that I would one day become and I would pass that down to my kids. And I talked to God about it and I said, God, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want this curse to be over me. I don't want this over my children, and I don't want my children to have this over my grandchildren. God, break this curse and let it stop in this generation. Let what I see my dad doing stop in this generation and let it not be passed down to me. And many of you know, my dad wasn't a Christ follower until the last week of his life when he gave his life to Christ and he was passing away on his deathbed. So who was he? He was a person who didn't have a higher power. He didn't know God in those moments, and so he was just... He was just struggling with his own deep, dark issues, right? What am I saying here? I'm saying vulnerability is the first step if you really want to allow God to come in and, and change or to break or to transform that dark thing within you, whatever thing that might be. Now, if you got your pen, write down the second thing. A second thing. We're, we're saying make a decision that you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to name it. Can you see it? You'll name it and you'll offer it to God. The second step is allowing yourself to be loved, allowing yourself to be loved. And this is actually one of the great places where we can see the gospel come out very clearly in this movie called a Beauty, The Beauty and the Beast. Um, a beautiful girl comes into the beast's world, right? Now, she comes because he's captured her father because he was trespassing on his property. But when she comes, he explodes. He doesn't realize at first that this is his chance probably his one and only chance to be transformed back into a prince. And so what does he do? He does the very thing that he doesn't want to do. He treats her not too differently than he treated the, the ugly hag who was the enchantress that put him under the curse in the first place. He treats her roughly. He barks at her. He sends her out. He, he almost destroys the very moment he has to be changed. But then finally he understands that this is his moment. Thankfully, was it Lumiere and Cogsworth, you know, and Mrs. Potts, they come along and say, hey, listen, this might be your chance. This can be your chance to be changed. Open up yourself to the moment, right? Now, the beast is not one who knows how to allow anybody to love him. He's lived his whole life like this. He's got a curved spine, right? And then all of a sudden, what's cool is in this story, we get to see a change start happening. He's 
opens himself up, becomes vulnerable. Then after that, he starts coming to a place of allowing himself to be loved. Watch this little cute moment in the movie. We love the Disney songs too. This is kind of one of those song moments, okay? and unrefined and now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before she glanced this way I thought I saw when we touch, she didn't shudder at my paw. No, it can't be. I'll just ignore. But then she's never looked at me that way before. Something there that wasn't there before. You know, perhaps there's something there that wasn't there before. What? There may be something there that wasn't there before. What's there, Mama? Shh. I'll tell you when you're older. Right then. You know, one of the things we're going to learn about this place of needing change is we think about the beasts needing to be transformed. But the truth of the matter is that we're going to see that a transformation is going to happen in Belle too. See, even Belle has her hard places. Who would love a beast, right? She has some things that she doesn't want to be charitable about as well. And so really, in, in, in ways for both of these folks, they're having to be open to love. They're having to learn how to love. And they're having to be able to say, hey, here I am being vulnerable, here's my thing, and then experience love. Here's what I want you to know. Things change in us when we experience unconditional love. You've probably experienced that already. When somebody loved you, not if you did so-and-so or because you did so-and-so, when you experience authentic, unconditional love, it has a way of changing us. Let's go back to Zacchaeus for a minute, okay? Read the scripture with me from, uh, from Luke chapter 19. When Jesus reached the spot, 
That's where Zacchaeus was up in his tree. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Let me just pause right there for a minute. Now, if you were Zacchaeus and you were uh, a person that everybody called a beast, uh, a person that nobody looked at as a very nice person, if you were up in that tree, this would have been a big moment for you. Because you've been waiting and wanting to see Jesus, and it just so happens that he lands right at the bottom of the tree you're up in, and he looks up at you, and he calls you by name, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to go to your house. Now, I don't know what that moment was like, and I wonder what went through Zacchaeus' mind. Because Zacchaeus was not expecting a personal encounter with Jesus that day. He was just going to go see what Jesus was about, what Jesus was doing. But all of a sudden, he's got a personal encounter. And the question that I'm wondering is, does Zacchaeus really open himself up? Does he know what it's like to really be open to being loved in this moment? Do you think for a minute a couple of thoughts went through his mind? Maybe he thought to himself, you're kidding. <laughs> you know? What would you have thought, you know? Or maybe he looked down at Jesus out of that tree and maybe he thought to himself, is this a joke? I mean, are you trying to make a public spectacle out of me? Or are you serious? Or maybe he looked down at Jesus and... He thought to himself, I'm afraid. I don't know. I don't know what this means. But the cool thing is that the Bible says, when Jesus said, I must go to your house today, read the rest of it with me. The Bible says, he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. That is, welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, oh, Jesus is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, here's what I want you to know. Where, where do we see in this theme of the gospel? Guys, even with Beauty and the Beast or, or in this story of Zacchaeus, the gospel is all about hope, and hope is always there. There is always hope for change. And if you're a person here today, you thought to yourself, maybe for everybody else, but not for me. I've been struggling with this particular thing for a long, long, long time, or this particular way I view a person or a set of circumstances. Listen, there is always hope. That is the, that is the message of the gospel. There's always hope. And here Zacchaeus is in a tree, and hope walks right underneath it. And Jesus looks up into the tree, and he says, hey, me and you, lunch, let's go. And Zacchaeus comes down, and he welcomes him, and you know what I know. The rest of the story is history. Now, everybody else is looking around going, oh, you can't change that beast. Look at Jesus. Why would he even hang out with a beast? Why would Jesus go hang out with a sinner? But the truth of the matter is something clicks inside of us when we experience true, authentic, unconditional love. Hey, just for you real quickly, I want you to think about yourself. When are the moments in your world where you experienced true, authentic, unconditional love, and it changed you at the core of who you are. You know, my hope is that every person in this room could say, you've experienced that with a God you can't even see. But you've experienced the love of a God who showed you kindness and faithfulness and forgiveness because something clicks in us. Matter of fact, today, if you've never experienced that, maybe even through the act of communion, you'd experience the love of a God who cares for you who loves you unconditionally, and something would click into you because that's, that's one of the passages to transformation. You make yourself vulnerable, and then you allow yourself to be loved. Something can change inside of you if you'll make yourself vulnerable and you'll allow yourself to be loved. Write this one down, third one. And now we get to this big moment because this is always involved in true transformation and change. 
sacrifice, a willingness to sacrifice on our part, a willingness to sacrifice. Now, real quickly before I show you the last clip that I'm going to show you today, there are two big sacrifices that go on in this movie called Beauty and the Beast. The first one is Belle. Now, think back with me because I'm not going to show you the clip. Those of you who, who know this story, you remember what happened, right? Maurice, Belle's dad, trespasses on the property. And he goes out on the property and the beast captures him. But he not only captures him, because the beast is a curved spine kind of guy, the beast does what we would expect him to do. He only takes care of himself. He preserves himself. So instead of allowing Maurice to go back to his village, he imprisons Maurice in the dungeon because if Maurice goes back and tells everybody, they'll come, and they'll, they'll, they'll come to his castle. They'll, they'll kill him, right? And so he holds on to Maurice. Belle goes looking for her dad, and she comes to the castle, and it's in that place that she finds the beast, and she finds her father in prison. And she does something that blows the beast's mind. This is the first picture of sacrifice in this movie. She comes, and she says, if you'll let my dad go, if you'll let my father go back, then you can take me as a prisoner. I don't know if you remember that place in the movie, but the beast's eyes actually change. It's as if he's never seen that kind of love before that she has for her father. And so he allows it to happen, and he takes Belle, and he puts her in the, in the dungeon, and he allows the father to go back. Now, in the, in the Bible, let's talk theologically for a minute. In the Bible... The Bible uh, gives us this picture of, of whenever a sacrifice is made, and a, it's, a, it's called, in technical terms, substitutionary atonement. Whenever a substitute is made, like Jesus on the cross, Jesus took our place, He took on our sin, He became the substitute for us. That word atonement means we could be covered over, we, our sins could be atoned for, our sins could be covered over because Jesus became the substitute for us. And it's a picture right here in Beauty and the Beast. Now, what's interesting is here's where that picture is not, it's kind of flawed. You see, Belle is not a perfect person. Belle is not like Jesus. Belle is doing it for a reason. She's doing it for her father. She's, it's not pure love. It's not pure unconditional love. She has a, a motive. She has an agenda. She's going to do it there because she wants her father freed, and she doesn't love the beast. She doesn't care about the beast. She's not sacrificing for the beast's best good. But the truth of the matter is, this is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He came and sacrificed and substituted himself for us, but he was perfect. Now, the second picture of sacrifice that we see here is that when, when the beast experiences this vulnerability, when he experiences this love for the very first time, things start melting inside of him, and we know that there is a sacrifice that will happen with, with the beast. Um, when when Belle is finally let go, and she goes out into the woods. The very wolves that were after Maurice come after Belle, and the beast goes out, and he almost lays his life down. He fights, and he saves Belle, and she sees his sacrifice, and that is one of the first time, moments that she starts to actually care for him as a beast when he sacrifices for her to save her from the wolves. So track with me here real quickly. Belle becomes for the beast his pathway to transformation. His pathway to salvation. Bell is to the beast his path to salvation. But the beast is to Bell her way of change as well. She's going to be transformed and she's going to be made to love even a beast. A change is happening in her while it's happening in her. I'll say it a different way. Bell is to the beast 
his chance at salvation. The beast is to Belle her chance at sanctification, her way of being made holy, of being made right, of getting the dark thing inside of her out and being more like she really should be. And for both of them, even though you're really only focusing on a curse over the beast, for both of them, the curse of their own darknesses can be broken because of what's happening in their sacrifices for one another. The Bible says this about Zacchaeus. Listen to this. We don't know what that lunch appointment looks like. We don't know what was said around that lunch table, but we know change happened. We know Zacchaeus was transformed and his curse is broken because look what happens as a sacrifice coming out of lunch. The Bible says, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord Jesus, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now listen to these words. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, if true change didn't come to Zacchaeus' life, this story would have never been put in the Bible. But the very fact that this story was put in the Bible tells us that guy made good on what his promise was. When he was changed, and when the curse was broken inside of him, he made a sacrifice as a response to that change. And I think that's important as well. You make yourself vulnerable, you allow yourself to be loved, you receive the sacrifice, and then you offer a sacrifice. That's when you're really seeing change and transformation. Hey, watch this clip with me, and then we'll close out, okay? The final clip. This Disney DVD. (laughs) A clip of transformation. You came back. Thank <laughs> you. 
me. Caught up in the movie. Yes, okay, you can clap. It's a miracle. Here's the question How does this happen? How does it happen that a person who has beastly stuff inside of them make them vulnerable, offer the, themselves to be loved by a, by a God who can take care of that kind of stuff for us and then go to a place of sacrifice? How does that happen? You know, when you connect in with a God who loves you, you can be changed. Now, I know this is mythic stories and fables and all that kind of stuff, but you see these threads of the gospel that are within them. And I want to close with one scripture today, and it's not in your outline, but if you have your Bible or maybe your technology device and your phone or your iPad, I want to invite you to read with me. It's found in 2 Corinthians. Because I, and the reason I, I wish I had made this, I had this scripture before and could have put it in your outline, but it just didn't dawn on me to a later scriptural study. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul gives us a picture of what this transformation is supposed to look like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I begin reading in verse 14. Remember, Paul was a beast. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a person with a bent over spine. And then God changed Paul. Listen to what these words say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, listen to this, should no longer live for themselves. Should no, no longer be bent over, right? Only looking at yourself. Should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I love this part, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, no so, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Guys, how does this happen? How does this happen, that the old can be gone and the new can become? That we can become people who are not bent over and warped over, looking at only ourselves, but we're actually seeing the world as Christ would see the world from another point of view. I, we're going to have a time of Holy Communion in the next few minutes, but before we get there, I just want to invite you to, to bring this sermon, this message to a place of application for you. And I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then we're going to pray. Here, here's the first question I want to ask you. What place inside of you do you know that maybe God would need to touch for you to really see change when it comes to just your attitude 
or your care or your lack of care towards other people? Is there a person that when I talk about your inability to love or your, your struggle to love somebody, is there a person that comes to your mind and you think to yourself, huh, I have deep resentment in my heart about that person. I have loathing. When I think about that person, I loathe them. I, I do not like them. Whoever that person is, I just wonder, would you be able to put your finger on that today? And you would say, this is a struggle for me. This is one of my dark places. I'm not charitable when it comes to this person. And the question I'd ask you about that is, would you make that vulnerable to God today? Would you say, God, I want you to deal with this. I have a problem right here, but I need your power because I can't do it. Here's a second question. Is there a sin or a darkness or something inside of you that doesn't necessarily involve people? It might involve something. It might involve the way you think or, or an addiction to something or... It might be just a struggle in your, in your thought life, or it might be a struggle with something that you do regularly. It might be words that come out of your mouth that you would say, you know what, this is a reflection of what's inside of me. It's a dark place inside of me. God, I need help with this. What would that dark place look like for you? Can you put your finger on it? Can you name it? And say, this is a place I think God would want to change inside of me. And would you make that vulnerable to him, would you say, God, I need your touch over this. I need change, true change in this place. You see, the truth of the matter is, everybody in this room, we are in a state of transformation. We are being transformed. We are being changed. And the Bible says, none of us is done yet. None of us. That God is continuing to carve His image inside of us, but that our destiny was that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. As you get ready to come to this communion table today, I just wonder if you kind of offer up your life to God and you'd say, God, let's talk about me. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads for a minute. Think about that dark place. Think about that place inside of you that would need changing. Think about that place inside of you that you know you need help with. And just offer that to God. Call it out with your mind. And right now, just, just hold it before God and say, God, this is a place. I need your touch. I ask for change. I make this vulnerable before you. I ask you, God, bring change in this area. Give it to him. Cast it his way right now. And ask Him to bring everlasting change in you because of it. Lord, we're here in this church today. And maybe this for us is kind of like Zacchaeus' tree. Maybe today you've come to this place and hope has come right next to us. And you have said to us, listen, come with me. I want to spend time with you. And Lord, maybe for every one of us in this place today, your power is that big. That if we would offer these places to you that are our places of darkness that you would bring everlasting life, that you would change them, and that, Lord, you would bring hope, hope and transformation. Lord, I ask you to do that in us. And even as we come to the communion table in the next few minutes, remind us, this is a table of change. This is a table of sacrifice. This is a table where we're reminded that we are loved. Help us to come with our vulnerabilities to this table and to open ourselves up to being loved by a God who cares for us even with our flaws, even with our darkness, you love us. And you want to come 
And you want to change us and mold us and shape us to be who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you that you never give up on us. You are the God who is always a God of great hope and transformation of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, our kids are going to have communion with us this morning. And I just want to invite, uh, if you're going to be serving at one of our communion stations, would you come forward right now? If you're going to be serving. And moms and dads and, and grandmas, granddads, aunts, uncles, as our kids come in, you might need to wave them down. They might not know where you're sitting. So if you kind of look for yours as they come in and help them find their way. We love having our children with us in worship when we experience Holy Communion together. So we invite them to come and kind of stop what they're doing and come on in to worship with us. So kids, come on in. Welcome to worship. Come find mom and dad. There you go. While our children are coming in, let me just tell you, if you're kind of new to Harvest Point, uh, we practice what we call intention here at Harvest Point. And that means when you come forward to receive, you're, you're going to be given a piece of bread and you're going to be allowed to dip that in the juices there. Um, and then you can receive. And we practice communion in a very free way. You're welcome to return to your seat. You're welcome to bow at the altar here. You're welcome to do whatever you want to do because this is your moment to meet with Jesus. Jesus was about to give his life as a ransom for the world, he was sitting the night before, and he was with some of the best friends that he had, and he reached across the table, and he grabbed a very common element that was there, but he did what he did so many times as a master teacher. He transformed that which was common into something that was of eternal significance. He grabbed a loaf of bread, and he held it up before them, and the Bible says that he prayed a prayer of blessing over it. Would you do that with me real quickly? Lord, we pray that the bread that we have here this morning would be more than just bread for us, but it would be a symbol of your body, which was broken for us. Lord, help us to take this as a very serious understanding of your sacrifice, for you bled very real blood. You gave your life for us. Thank you for this bread. Bless it as we take it into our bodies today. In the name of Jesus. And the Bible says he took that loaf of bread and he broke it right there at the table and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. This is my body. And he passed it around the table and he invited them to eat of the bread that was there. Now, whether they understood it completely or not at that moment, probably not. But for this, this teaching, for this symbol, it has become a, a source of life for the church. Because together when we gather here, we remember that Jesus gave his body for us. And then after they had partaken of the bread, he took a cup at the table. And the Bible said he held that up and he prayed a prayer of blessing over it. So would you pray with me a prayer of blessing over that? God, today we have simple juice here. But Lord, there's a beautiful thing about the juice that is from the vine. This is uh, part of your creation. And Lord, we pray today as we take juice and it touches our lips and it passes across our tongue and it's sweet to us that we would remember the blood that you spilled for us. Blood that was perfect, blood that had never sinned the blood of the Lamb that was poured out for us. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that it washes away our sin, all of our sin, and there's nothing that we have done or that we will do that cannot be cleansed by the precious blood that you poured out for us, Jesus. We give thanks for the juice today. Make it be holy for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And 
And the Bible says he passed that juice around to everyone at the table. And he said, take of this and drink. And remember that my blood will be poured out. And he told them about a new covenant he was offering, a covenant of grace. And as you come to the table this morning, I want to remind you that this is not a Methodist table. Listen, it is not a Methodist table. It is not a Harvest Point table. We call this the Lord's table. This is his table, right? And you're not invited to come because you're worthy. Because listen, there's not one singular one of us who is holy or worthy. Not one of us. We come as beasts transformed by grace, right? So I invite you to come, not because you're worthy, but because you've been invited. And because everything's been prepared. And may in the taking of the bread and the tasting of the juice, may you remember that God loved you right where you were. You don't need to get your act cleaned up to come to Him. He wants to love on you right where you are. And in the process, He wants to become in you, through you, for you, a Savior. Come for all is ready.